Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. And please join me in the words for lighting the chalice. We light this chalice. Take a deep breath. In the stillness of the cool morning, try to quiet your body and your mind. Try to calm every part of you as you breathe slowly and deeply and listen. That word, Alleluia, is an expression of joy, an utterance of praise and thanks. We've sung it now twice, as the darkness draws closer and winter comes on, as the celebrations of the season unfold around us, offering warmth and light. Alleluia is a proclamation of hope, a way to affirm possibility. We will sing it again and again until the new year is rung in and we say goodbye to what was, looking forward with hope at all the opportunity a new year brings. Alleluia is a protest against despair, a resistance to cynicism. We can sing it at any moment, wherever we are, whoever we are with, and for as long as we have breath as a way to reject fear and hopelessness, as a way to build community and love. Alleluia is a celebration. This, our time together here on Sunday mornings, is a celebration of humanity and community, of kindness and love, of faith and doubt, of learning and growing, of challenge and soothing. You, this, us, is a celebration of what is possible. So welcome. We're going to celebrate together. Every Sunday that we gather here, we take time for silence, for meditation, reflection, for prayer and deep breathing. And I invite you now into that time. So settle your body into your seat. Take a deep breath. Take another deep breath. I invite you this morning to focus your visual attention on the lights of our menorah as you continue to breathe deeply and slowly. The rituals we engage in this season are ancient. They speak to us in ways filled with history and memory. They tie us to our own past and to the shared past of humanity. This is how we always live, at once individuals building our own lives and participants in a much larger story, balancing the personal and the collective. 
this season of celebrating calls us to remember the truth that our choices impact others. That our individual lives can be used for ill or for good. And that our lives are bound up with those of others around the world. As we move into our silence, let yourself sink deeply into the knowledge of your smallness and your power. Of your light as one piece of the larger light. May you gain strength this season from all the best of tradition. May it guide you toward hope and righteousness. So may it be. In that first reading, Reverend Jennifer Kelleher remarks that the lighting of the candles wasn't a particularly pious act in her childhood. The same was true in my family. Our Hanukkah parties were more about the bedding over the dreidel play and the drenching of latkes and sour cream and applesauce than anything else. But she also notes that there was still power watching the candles as they burned down slow and steady with the darkness all around as her family went on about its normal routine. I can picture the scene she writes of because it was like ours, a momentary change from the typical as candles were lit and blessings were said. But then that momentary change for some of us lingers as the night descends. Like many of the Jewish holidays, Hanukkah has been around a very long time. The incident it commemorates took place in the second century BCE. That story is told in 1 Maccabees, an apocryphal text of the Jewish scriptures. And it's corroborated by other non-Jewish texts as well. The story begins in a time when the Jews were actually experiencing acceptance and assimilation in Judea. They were part of Greek culture, but allowed to worship in their own ways. At that point in the history of Judaism, the temple in Jerusalem was the central focus for worship. Things changed quickly once a king named Antiochus came around. The story is told in 1 Maccabees like this. After subduing Egypt, Antiochus returned in the 143rd year. He went up against Israel and came to Jerusalem with a strong force. He arrogantly entered the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the lampstead for the light, and all its utensils. He took also the table for the bread of the presence, the cups for drink offerings, the bowls, the golden censers, the curtain, the crowns, and the gold decoration on the front of the temple. He stripped it all off. He took the silver and the gold and the costly vessels. He took also the hidden treasures which he found. Taking them all, he went into his own land. He shed much blood and spoke with great arrogance. Israel mourned deeply in every community. Rulers and elders groaned. Young women and young men became faint. The beauty of the women faded. Every bridegroom took up the lament. She who sat in the bridal chamber was mourning. Even the land trembled for its inhabitants, and all the house of Jacob was clothed with shame. Two years later, the king sent to the cities of Judah a chief collector of tribute, and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. Deceitfully, 
he spoke peaceable words to them, and they believed him. But he suddenly fell upon the city, dealt it a severe blow, and destroyed many people of Israel. He plundered the city, burned it with fire, and tore down its houses and its surrounding walls. Then the king wrote to his whole kingdom that all people should be one, and that all should give up their particular customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king. Many, even from Israel, gladly adopted his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. And the king sent letters to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land. He forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary. He directed them to profane Sabbaths and feasts, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane, so that they should forget the law and change all ordinances, and whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. So tells Maccabees. The king's officers go from town to town, the story continues, and in one they encounter Mattathias and his five sons. Mattathias says to the officers, even if all the nations that live under the rule of the king obey him and have chosen to obey his commandments, every one of them abandoning the religion of their ancestors, I and my sons and my brothers will continue to live by the covenant of our ancestors." Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinances. We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left. After Mattathias makes his speech, <coughs> a Jew comes forward <coughs> excuse me, to make a sacrifice according to the demands of the king. Mattathias is so incensed that he runs up to the altar, kills this man on the spot, and then kills the officer of the king. Then he and his sons flee to the hills, and there they begin a rebellion, eventually growing their army to 6,000 people. Although Mattathias dies during the time of the rebellion, his son Judas Maccabeus leads the army to victory three years later, three years after the statue of Zeus had been erected in the temple. They reclaim the temple on the 25th day of Kislev, and they rededicate and purify the temple in an eight-day celebration. And that was the first celebration of Hanukkah, which word actually means dedication. The story, as it stood originally, was a story of religious freedom. This was a battle for the right to practice their religion freely. It was a fight against forced assimilation. But in the second century CE, the Talmudic rabbis created another story around this original historical story. They added a miraculous element as if a small band of Jews reclaiming the temple from the empire wasn't miraculous enough, the story they created was the one about the oil. The Talmud reads, What is the reason for Hanukkah? For our rabbis taught, on the 25th of Kislev begin the days of Hanukkah, which are eight, during which lamentation for the dead and fasting are forbidden. For when the Greeks entered the temple and they defiled all the oils in it, and when the Hasmonean dynasty prevailed against and defeated them, the Hasmoneans searched and found only one cruise of oil which possessed the seal of the high priest, but which contained sufficient oil for only one day's lighting. Yet a miracle occurred there, and they lit the lamp for eight days. 
The following year, these days were appointed a festival. For millennia since then, Jewish people the world over have lit menorahs as the sun sets to commemorate the supernatural miracle of the oil lasting eight days, but also the very human miracle of winning freedom and restoring their house of worship. Hanukkah arrived this year not really that long after the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Just one more incident in the ongoing anti-Semitism that plagues Europe and the United States and other places in the world. After a time of seeming improvement, the Anti-Defamation League, which tracks these things, registered a 57% increase in anti-Semitic occurrences in 2017 over 2016, so a 57% increase in one year. Those incidents include vandalism, assault, bomb threats, and the dissemination of anti-Semitic written materials on college campuses and elsewhere. Just last week, a poll was released from CNN surveying 7,000 adults across Europe, so in Great Britain, Sweden, Poland, Germany, France, Austria, and Hungary. And there were some striking results to this poll. I don't know if you've seen it. 20% of those adults polled said that Jewish people have too much influence in media compared to other people. 28% said that Jewish people have too much influence in finance and business across the world compared to other people. 10% said they feel unfavorably toward Jews. 18% responded that anti-Semitism is a response to the everyday behavior of Jewish people. More than a third of those surveyed had never heard of or knew little about the Holocaust. More than a third. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, we can't know the answer for sure, but of course the question arises about whether anti-Semitism has increased or if folks just feel emboldened to express what never went away. CNN quotes the chief rabbi in Poland as saying that there will always be people who have anti-Semitic feelings. This new situation today is that they feel it's more acceptable socially that they can express these opinions out loud. The feeling beforehand was, this is what I believe, but I won't tell anyone. It wasn't perfect, but at least there was a social taboo against anti-Semitism. Similarly, Deborah Lipstadt, the Holocaust history professor at Emory University, compares anti-Semitism to a disease that goes dormant for stretches of time, but always comes back out especially in times of stress. I imagine that you can, as I can, call to mind many other examples over the last couple of years. The neo-Nazis in Charlottesville crying out, the Jews will not replace us. The Columbia professor whose office this fall was defaced with swastikas and other anti-Jewish graffiti. Or even just this past week, the finding of a swastika and a Star of David carved into the door of a bathroom stall at Ridgewood High. That image of a Wisconsin high school senior class of boys all performing the Heil sign from the Third Reich. From the more daily mundane insults and threats and stereotypes to the horrific murders in Pittsburgh, anti-Semitism is alive and well in this country and is not afraid to make itself known. So what do we do in a moment like this? How do we respond to the prejudice and violence of such a time? I think one way, among many, one way is to proclaim loudly and proudly the dual miracles of Hanukkah. 
If we understand a miracle to be something that is welcome but unlikely to occur, there were two in this story. There was the Jewish people's God's miracle of the oil, and then there was that miracle of the people standing up for themselves and for each other, working hard over many years for liberation and religious freedom. We need to remember these both. Sometimes things happen that we can't explain, things that are beyond our control, whether we think they are caused by God or coincidence or dumb luck. But oftentimes, we humans are the agents of change. We can indeed be the force that transforms the world. We can turn the tide of hatred, show that prejudice is a minority position, even though it is more prevalent than we wish. We can make it so that anti-Semitism is exposed for what it is, ignorance, fear, selfishness, and hate, all of which serves no one. We can make miracles ourselves in simple but profound ways. So tell the story of Hanukkah. Teach your children the story, even if you don't observe it at home. Support your Jewish friends and neighbors, not only in their celebrations of Hanukkah, but at all times. One way we did this as a community of Ridgewood after the Pittsburgh shooting was to move the interfaith Thanksgiving service to the synagogue in town. This was a meaningful way to show solidarity, but there are others. You can support organizations like the Anti-Defamation League with your efforts and with your money. You can expose, as did that student at Ridgewood High, any hate symbols or graffiti that you find so that people can no longer pretend anti-Semitism is a thing of the past. You can work to educate people about the very real history of violence against Jewish people, especially making sure that the Holocaust is not forgotten. And of incredible importance, you can understand, we all can understand, that each of us has the capacity to be a candle of love, compassion, truth, and justice. That's what our second reading calls us to, a deeper understanding of the spirit of Hanukkah. At the end of her reflection, Rabbi Cohen writes, This year, as we celebrate Hanukkah, we do not have to rely on miracles, but neither can we rely solely on our power and strength. We can rededicate ourselves, alone and in community, to cultivating our spirit, to remembering that we are candles of the divine, and to bringing that consciousness more clearly to our work for justice. We must balance the everyday and very human and the holy, the lighting of candles and the piling on the couch to watch TV. We must balance our individual lives and the call of our greater communities, choosing righteousness and the good of all over self-interest. We must balance the human-made miracle and the inexplicable, understanding that while each of us is powerful, there is more than we understand in the universe. We must balance a deep knowledge of what was with a great vision of what can be, letting ourselves learn the lessons of history without giving in to cynicism. The Reverend Lynn Unger wrote a Hanukkah poem that I want to share with you this morning. It's one of my personal favorites. She writes, Come down from the hills. Declare the fighting done. Be bold. Declare victory. Even when the temple is wrecked and the tyrants have not retreated, only coiled back like a snake prepared to strike again. 
Come down. Try to remember a life gentled by daily acts of domestic faith. The pot set to boil, the bed made up, the table set in calm expectation that when the sun sets, we will still be here. Come down and settle. Unlearn the years of hiding. Light fires that can be seen for miles, that dance and spark and warm the frozen marrow. Set lamps in the window. Declare your presence, your loyalties, the truths for which you do not expect to have to die. It would take a miracle, you say, to carve such a solid life out of the shell of fear. I say, you are the stuff from which such miracles are made. We are the stuff from which such miracles are made. We are the light. In the balances, we can find hope and possibility. In showing up, overcoming our fear, setting lamps that can be seen for miles, in showing up for ourselves and for others, we can create change. The miracles of Hanukkah ask no less of us than that we embrace our own wholeness as divine light and that we rededicate ourselves to transforming this world. So may it be. Please join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, the not the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. If you will not be lighting a menorah tonight in your home, take a moment to offer up thanks for the diversity of this beautiful community, this village, this county, this nation, recommitting yourself to being part of a resistance against fear and hatred and prejudice, recommitting yourself to being part of the miracle. If you will be lighting a menorah tonight in your home, light it knowing that you have a community that loves you deeply, that supports your religious freedom, that needs your vision and your memories, that is dedicated not only to your survival, but to the thriving of you in your fullness. Light it recommitting yourself to being part of the miracle. Go in peace knowing that all of you are the light.